Bickering Peaks, the Twin Peaks podcast that's a bit like Audrey Horn. Happy to be here, but a little frustrated at being kept out of the loop this week. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Uh, no, actually, it's Welcome to Bickering Peaks, the Twin Peaks podcast expertly hosted by Paul and Angela. Or is it Tina and Billy? Clark and Mary? Who are we? Who are we? Raiden and Lindsay. I'm Aiden. You're Lindsay? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> That'll work. Um... <laughs> Yes. We're we're uh, we're rocking. We're ready to roll with part twelve of of Twin Peaks. Aiden, what did you think of part twelve? Wow, um, <laughs> that's hard to describe. Uh, it's it felt odd mm. uh, right from the get go, and it only got worse. Um, <laughs> worse? You thought? Well, well, did you, did you okay. like it or no? I, I broad top first know. first watching no second watching a little bit mm. i think uh the first watch was very very heavily influenced by the fact that we had been uh sold throughout the week that this was going to be another part eight extravaganza-esque yeah. level thing i think mark frost said as much on twitter he said he retweeted something I yeah think. yeah there was uh david desmalchian uh posted that this would change the way we view twin peaks and i i was suspicious of that when i saw it i mean we retweeted it from our bickering peaks account just because yeah, it sounded like, we got kind of yeah, excited. Yeah. But after thinking, it's like, mm, it, it, how yeah. much could he really know about yeah. the show? And uh, did they get advanced screenings? And who is and this person? Sorry, I he know. He plays the, the pit boss or the, the, the guy who works at the uh, Silver Mustang Casino yes, okay. for the Mitchum brothers. Yeah. Um, so a relatively minor character yeah. in, in a very broad cast of characters. So, I mean, is it possible... I mean, yeah. Some of the major characters don't even know what's going to be happening. No. So, so in retrospect, maybe we all jumped the gun a little bit yeah. with the hype. Yeah. But with the title, like, Let's Rock, you kind of expect that this is going to be a big episode. Yeah. And it kind of wasn't. No, and that, I think that was the, the biggest change for me is that it felt like, it felt like, honestly, like another exposition-heavy kind of part nine or ten. Yeah. You know, that's really the feel that it had. And I think once you go in there and accept that that's what was coming mm-hmm. and you didn't if you didn't have your hopes up initially if you just walked into the episode blind you might be a little more happy about it mm-hmm. there's still some stuff that was just frustrating to watch yeah you know and intentionally so i think yeah. uh you know this is you know it, it, Lynch is you're most talking artiest. about like the slow you yeah know, the slow pace i mean yeah the, the back and forth shots of yes no, of talking. nothing happening yeah i mean there was a lot of that it was it was basically like felt like half the episode was the sweeping scene and <laughs> at the roadhouse all over again um, it wasn't. There were there was there's more stuff going on there, and even some of the weird, questionable stuff that we're not not really sure about um, that we'll talk about as we go through the episode. I feel like there is more there that you can bite into and and feel. I feel like though the episode purposefully distances you, and this is something that uh, Counter Esperanto tweeted about. Mm-hmm. They tweeted to uh, a YouTube video of uh, David Lynch describing. The, the speed of a painting of a duck, I think, is what mm-hmm. it's getting at. And how the eye of the duck is is the important thing. And it's the fastest moving thing and all the other slow moving pieces around it. Um, it's all very abstract. It's all very David Lynch. It doesn't really make much sense. Mm-hmm. But you get the sense that, yes, there's there's a there's a pace to different elements of any work of art. Yeah. And this is a slow one. This, this is the f- tail feather or something that, that, right. that Lynch doesn't want to... 
uh, focus in and speed up too much. Whereas last episode, we, you know, I specifically mentioned that it had a very fast, uh, I described it as a kinetic energy. I think that's really uh, a good description of part 11, uh-huh. uh, that, it, that it was a fast episode. It was something that pushed forward and grabbed your attention. And this one doesn't. Yeah. And I feel like it's probably just a bit of a letdown from that high, um, but it's probably serving a greater purpose. And I still have faith in, in Lynch and Frost and what they're doing here. So I'm okay with it. But yes, it was very challenging to watch. Yeah. And your, your thoughts similar? I feel or? the same way. I think I think part of it is, um, like, I don't mind the slowness of it. I really don't. Like, I think when you're actually watching it, it's funny. When you look back on it, you're kind of like, well, how does this advance the plot? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, and... You know, like, we've kept harping on this for the last 11 yeah, parts yeah. that we've covered, that this is an 18-hour film, so we're really seeing these, you know, we're focusing in on scenes that maybe in an actual two-hour movie would be a few seconds, and they're spread out over two minutes, but that makes sense if you're going to stretch, you know, like, saltwater taffy. This is this is a, mm. a compact story that's been stretched, and now we're getting to luxuriate in these moments. Some people are finding it's a little bit too too much luxuriating yes there's too much luxury yes too much luxury um (laughs) but it's and and i think the the biggest problem is going to be and i'm seeing this we're both seeing this um, online online with people who still you know 12 hours in are expecting twin peaks season one Mm -hmm. right and and for so many reasons that's not going to happen right like that's just not the show that we're getting and either you like that or you don't and i think we're starting to see yeah, probably pretty strong probably splits, yeah. from from part 8 well, and maybe even, even part that, 3 yeah, i would imagine yeah. some of these splits are starting had already yeah. started to happen but i'm i'm getting the sensation that people are going to stop watching at this yeah. point because yeah, they're this not, one was very divisive that way yeah, for sure and they're yeah. not they're not going to sit through you know, another five-minute scene of a woman getting dressed and and leaving. and leaving a room and Gordon and Albert staring at each other. Like, that's going to wear on on these... I, I hesitate to call them casual fans because they are still fans of the show. They're just fans of a different Twin Peaks. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't it, the exist show anymore. Is, yeah, exactly. The show is radically different. This yeah. is not the Twin Peaks that a lot of people fell in love with. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to lose some fans for sure. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I think, actually, we have one kind of in your family your brother uh loves yeah. he was on with fire walk with me and he did a few yeah, other he episodes did, with uh, us. earlier in season two i think yeah and nathan loved the original series yep. and he and his girlfriend mel are struggling so much she's also an original fan mm-hmm. um they are struggling so much with this with the return because um it's just not I, Twin Peaks, it's not yeah. that they and they're both very smart people and they they get it they like this kind of thing i think but they're just, they were expecting something else. Yeah, and, and Nathan also loves Mulholland Drive. He loved Fire Walk with me. Yeah. He was joined us for that, and he really he liked He understood and really enjoyed Eraserhead. Yeah, I don't think yeah. he'd watch it regularly, but... <laughs> but he enjoyed it. We can talk about him because he doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> exactly, He's admitted yeah, he's that. He's care. never even listened to his own yeah, episodes that he's yeah. been on, but... So we'll just bash him here. Yeah, but no, you know, but, uh, He's you taking know, care of our cats right now yeah, exactly, while we're while in we're, Paris, yeah. so we should be nice yeah. if he does end up listening. That's true. Uh, but yeah, no... bash him too much. Just to use him as an example, I think he... He likes parts of it, and he likes, like, if you poke him on an individual scene, he's like, yeah, I really love that scene. But then he comes to a sweeping scene, and he's just like, why am I watching this for a minute and a half of mm-hmm. Booker T and the MGs and the guy sweeping? It was. <laughs> and here we get a two and a half minute, we timed yeah. it this one, yeah. of the woman getting dressed. And, yeah, it's it, it can be infuriating, but um, Lynch is doing that on purpose to draw you out and move you around the painting. I feel like that's, I think that's, that's a, kind of that's the... a really good way of putting it. I also think that there's a reason for it. 
um, subtextually as well that that we can get to when we discuss it, um, yeah. which it, it may or may not be true. But it but it is interesting if you are watching the return, knowing how to speak one of the 6,000 mm-hmm. languages in the world is uh, how to speak Lynchian. Yeah. So if you are watching <laughs> it with that visual language in your mind, then you're picking up on things that maybe other people who aren't as big a fan of, of Lynch's work or um, haven't gone into it as deep as, I mean, I think we take it for granted that, you know, sitting here, we've watched the show how many times other podcasters, bloggers, vloggers, writers, we've, we've, you know, kind of absorbed the show from so many angles over so long that we take it for granted that we know this stuff and other people might not. So I, I, this isn't a show that's holding your hand. Absolutely not. And, and it's unfortunate that it's it. It was never but, going to get, to grab new fans. I think they yeah. were trying to. I think Showtime really did try to grab and hook new people, and yeah. maybe a few people who didn't pick it up the first time will pick it up this time. But I don't think your average Breaking Bad fan, no, is is necessarily going to enjoy this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Joanna Robinson. I'm 99% sure it was Joanna Robinson, but I can't. If I'm wrong, I will I will fix this. <laughs> but she's a writer for Vanity Fair, and she either said it in one of her columns, and I read it there, or I read it in a transcript of her appearance on a podcast. I can't remember. But she, she said that each episode feels like it's taking the same ingredients, that the return has, like, the shelf mm-hmm. of ingredients, and you take them all and you mix them in different quantities, and each episode is a different drink. Yeah. You know, like... That's and, really interesting because Joel Bacco said the exact same thing in his write-up of this okay. episode saying how each one is kind of like its own dish and it has uh-huh. its own textures and flavors. Right, right, right. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, it's an 18-hour movie ostensibly, mm-hmm. but they are still, the episodes feel distinct. They, they each have their own textures and yeah, yeah, flavors yeah. to them yeah. um, that, yes, are pulled from across this 18-hour movie, but they are being cut up into hour chunks. And, you know, Lynch could have, if he wanted to, have done an hour and a half one time and 20 minutes the next time well, or he something may like still, that. He may still, because he did say that some episodes were going to be longer than others. Okay. And we've had some that are only 45 minutes long, and, yeah, and he well, said some might be longer than an hour, so we might end up with an hour and a half long part. Sure. We don't know yet. Yeah, it, it's a possibility. But uh, at the end of the day, they've been fairly episodic. And, uh-huh. and that's interesting to know because, um, you know, it, it makes you wonder, like, how many of these scenes are we seeing out of order? Are uh-huh. we seeing... You know, things just thrown in when they're kind of convenient to the plot and other things are totally removed from a plot and mm-hmm. they're just being dropped in because he has 30 seconds to fill. It's really interesting to wonder about these things because the plots are hugely disconnected. Uh, there's very small crossovers between them. Um, but yet, for the most part, they are following a fairly linear traditional path as far as we can tell. Um, right. This episode has a few interesting questions about that. But it's really... Uh, yeah, it's just it's noteworthy that this is the kind of approach that they wound up taking to an 18-hour film is that it's still more or less an episode that feels distinct, has a tone, has a mood and counts on the viewer to process it in that chunk mm-hmm. as opposed to going through the whole 18-hour experience, mm-hmm. um, which we can't do right now. But once we do, maybe we'll reconsider it. But for now, it's worth noting. Um, just... Interesting side note, just to show how we finish each other's sandwiches all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we must have both read Joel Bacco's yeah. piece separately because we both quoted the same thing. Oh. He was quoting Joanna Robinson. Oh, okay. His piece. Yeah, yeah, okay. There she you wrote go. it on, or she said it on the Peaks TV podcast. I just looked there it up. There you go. So, okay. So, uh, okay. high five for marriage? Yeah, or just I didn't read closely enough and I misattributed it. But yeah, that well, high five for marriage. We'll take that one. <laughs> um, 
Okay. Let's rock. So the episode proper starts at the hotel where the FBI are staying in Buckhorn, South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a nice little conversation between Gordon, Albert, and Tammy in a private study of some sort where they're all drinking wine from Gordon's private wine cellar. Yeah. Um, but before they are doing that, Cole is searching the room with his little red machine that we'd noticed earlier. Yeah. Uh, it looks like it has a little flash flashlight on the end of it, and it's just... Uh, Pointing, he's just pointing around. It's I feel like he's using it. It's, it it's, it's what he used, I think, to see if Tammy was wearing a wire yeah, back yeah, in yeah. part uh, part four. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's used it in other. We've seen it in other scenes and other contexts as well. So it, it's it's some kind of weird um, device. We don't. It yeah, doesn't it, have a user interface well, that we again. Can see. Yeah, it feels very much. D- double doppelcoop almost like it's it's just it's a generic device yeah. that does whatever well, it's the... david lynch doing doing technology he's yeah. just like i need something that will do what i need it to do, do this, so let's just design this thing and it'll yeah. do the thing yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. so um but it is interesting that he keeps using it and that it's red we'll mm-hmm. just throw that out there yeah. Yeah. um but he's satisfied with the state of the room whatever yeah. he's searching for um sits down and they they all toast the to the the bureau the bureau mm-hmm. and uh Gordon turns up his hearing aids so that they can have a private, quiet conversation. And we finally get a full-on answer about what the Blue Rose cases are. Yes. And it was kind of hinted at throughout uh, the secret history of Twin Peaks. Yeah. It's kind of a follow-up to, uh, what are they called? The Blue... Project Blue Book? Project Blue Book. So they were a follow-up to Project Blue Book, essentially. They're, they're an FBI and military task force that came together to investigate the paranormal basically well the unsolved blue rose cases or the unsolved blue book cases that couldn't be solved via traditional means yes they, so they're taking a, an alternate path is how yes. albert describes it um and it, it's interesting so he says that basically that because of this they're basically admitting that there was a giant cover-up that yeah. operation blue book said oh ufos aren't a big problem but here's another tax task force that's yeah. going to look into look this into problem <laughs> uh which is which is funny because yeah it's it fits in very well with the secret history of twin peaks and the well yeah and and all of the theorist. conspiracy theories just yeah. in general um out there people wanting to hear the government admit that there was a cover-up well albert just did so there yeah. you go and the other interesting tidbit uh that we get is where the name came from. So it was uttered by a woman uh, right before she died who yeah. was at the center of one of these cases. Yes. Don't know who that is. Uh, my don't in- know the context. Don't know the what? context. Anything. My initial thought is it's the young girl who has the frickin' in her mouth. Mm, maybe. Um, if it's not Sarah Palmer, it's it's this girl and, okay. and that's the origin of it. But I have a feeling we might see that. We might not. It might just be a one-time thing. We also get information about uh, who headed it up on the FBI side. It was uh, Jeffries. Well, Philip Jeffries was the head of the task force. Yeah. And then there were other people who, who answered to him or followed under him, and they included Agent Rosenfield, uh, Chet Desmond, mm-hmm. and Agent Cooper. Yeah. Um, so interesting that we get uh, Chet Desmond mentioned. Not Sam Stanley. He was mentioned no. in, in The Secret History, but not um, not in, in this yeah. episode. So wondering if he still has a role to play, because in The Secret History he was listed as being uh, – having developed a drinking problem or yeah. something and, and was no longer working for the FBI is, is kind of the, the assumption being made there. Um, but Albert makes a point of saying that to Tammy that you'll notice that I'm the only one who's not, who yeah. hasn't been missing <laughs> yeah. or hasn't gone missing, yeah. um, which is why Gordon has been hesitant to ask anybody else to come on board. And that's when they finally ask Tammy to to come on board mm-hmm. in, a, in a really kind of strange way. They've been watching her for a long time since she was in high school. 
Yeah. Um, which is which is odd. It's a little odd. When it feels like just a a generic puff uh, piece, basically. I don't know how else to describe it, but you know they just build up Tammy's character. It's about a, a bunch of second person characterization. Well, you were top of your class at MIT, and it's a bunch of kind of useless background info that it feels like kind of like a B movie. Almost okay. like you have the guy just like, well, kid, you were, you know, you were the star quarterback in high school. And, you know, ever since then, we've been keeping on. It, it just feels okay. it felt a little odd and, and uh, very kind of noirish to me. Mm. I, I don't know why. I, I don't even know if that's actually a noir trope, but it's a very bad writing trope to just say mm. like, oh, well, you've always been the best, Mr. Perfect. And now we're going to let you join the team. Right. Um, so it bothered me a little bit. What I did like in this scene was Tammy's reaction to it. It yeah. felt very realistic and believable. Yeah, um, but the first time we're actually we're like, hey, kind of like Tammy's reaction mm-hmm. here. Like her, it didn't it didn't seem false. She seemed genuinely uh, kind of shocked and taken aback, and also kind of proud or mm-hmm. uh, strangely elated in some way to be asked to join this task force. Yeah. Um, so I I, I kind of I quite like that part. Mm-hmm. I, one thing I thought was a little odd is she seemed a little shaken. You know, she she was she. There was a meme already online I saw of, you know, uh, Gordon's complimenting Tammy, and all she does is just exhale. And there, mm-hmm. there's like twelve of them on in the subtitles uh, here. But it, you know, when you're watching it the first time, it felt very real. Um, but she does seem a little a little shaken, a little maybe too excited, a little too a little too much. For someone that you're going to trust with this like top secret information and well, it's a big know. task. It's it's exactly it's something very important that you're. There's very few people working on it. Literally, they're all sitting right in there in room, that yeah. room. <laughs> so I mean, that's and and clearly she idolizes Gordon and has deep respect for Albert. So I mean, being asked to join this force is and she's young too. She's not, yeah yeah that's you know, true yeah uh, she's yeah, probably yeah, she, Cooper's yeah. age right mm-hmm. At, when he was first yep. asked to join. The task force, yeah, right? So, um, so some of that might be just related to that. Mm-hmm. Either way, it it is interesting um, that we that we see this. It's something we've long suspected that she was going to be asked. Mm-hmm. Um, so, not a surprise there. What what was kind of surprising, and I didn't really notice it until this time around, was that Albert is taking the lead on all of these conversations that happen with Tammy, mm-hmm. and and later on in this scene with Diane. So, um, why is Gordon not jumping in? Why is he not the one? Clearly, he's he's involved. Is he is he the head, the new head of the the Blue Rose? How does he fit in? He wasn't listed as one of the agents either, being involved no. with the Blue Rose. So so what is his role? What was his role to begin with, and what is his role now within just specifically the Blue Rose cases? Um, is he grooming Albert to take over his role? Is yeah. one of the thoughts that I had. Um, but I have some other theories we'll get into after okay, that. Okay, sure. Um, so what happens next? Diane, Diane makes an appearance. In. Yes. Uh, Cole gets a message on his phone. He says Diane's on his way, on her way, sorry. And then she enters through the red curtains, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, wearing red. Um, she's which wearing is the important. exact same outfit that she was wearing in the scene where they first met with Mr. C in mm-hmm. the uh, penitentiary. Yes. So um, this was something that uh, other people have made. Uh, we've seen some really amazing charts of uh, what characters are wearing and mm-hmm. when and trying to figure out where these events are taking place based on the clothing. So, I mean, yes, here's a character who's been on the road for a while. Maybe that she's just re-wearing the same outfit that she wore a few days earlier. 
But then we get another scene later where she's changed and there wouldn't be any reason for her to have changed. Well, unless it's unless another day, right? Exactly. So so now we're, we're really starting to, to look at, we've seen Lucy changing clothes from scene to scene in the same part. So is this another instance? Are we, are we seeing these out of order? Is this scene taking place the night that they first met up with Mr. C at the penitentiary? Yeah. Is it even taking place at night? I mean, we don't even know. There's no indication. I'm assuming it's at night, but... But still, it's just um, yes something to it, note. It is something to note, absolutely. What else is interesting to note is that they deputize Diane yeah. at this point. Yeah. So um, it would be fascinating if they deputized her suspecting her of doing something. Um, whether or not this is taking place before or after they knew that she was uh, in cahoots with Mr. C, or at least texting him, is... is clearly up for debate but if um if they did all this before without knowing that she was going to be Mm -hmm. involved i think that's a little too convenient that then all of a sudden she would be involved with mr c and they wouldn't know about it i think they had to either suspect her before the first text between them were even sent or they already know that they're sending texts back and forth yeah well i mean those this is happening in chronological sequence does that make sense yep yeah and i i mean i think definitely cole knew after the hug, he said as much that he he felt something was off, and so he, right. he suspected her then. So, so perhaps this scene this is, is happening three hours after that. Yeah. Maybe that's why that's what led them to deputize her. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Either way, it's interesting that when she she agrees to it mm-hmm. um, for a little bit of money and the chance to figure out what happened to her friend Cooper, mm-hmm. um, and she does this like two finger salute. That I expected, you know, it's the kind of thing that you'd have this, a cigarette between your fingers and you'd be pointing mm-hmm. at someone with your the cigarette. But she doesn't have a cigarette in her fingers. She's just pointing with two fingers and she says, let's rock. Mm-hmm. Um, so, A, interesting that she's the one who says those words. B, it's it's an odd gesture to make. And it reminded me of Laura's two-finger yeah, yeah. snap yeah, in snap. the red room. Yeah. Um, some other people have pointed out it's kind of like a girl guide salute, you know, when you put the two yeah, fingers yeah, the two up, fingers the girl up, guide yeah. salute. Uh, but anyway. Um, well, and it's interesting that uh, the music swells yeah. as she gets ready to do this. And yeah. it was interesting. The first time we watched it, it froze right before she oh, said, yeah. let's rock. And so I was like, Did are we, we switching some dimensions kind of, or something? Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. It was so, but it was it, just our internet. It was just our internet. It was crappy. <laughs> so, But that was a, that was a nice touch. Um, also, uh, the other thing that's interesting here is... Uh, there's a first bit of pacing change in this episode in this uh scene uh where you know this stuff with tammy's moving along fairly quickly and you know everything's happening but then you get diane walk in and she makes her own drink Mm -hmm. albert offers her some vodka or something uh he won't pour it he won't pour it just gives her the bottle and makes her pour it herself she seems kind of pissed off about that well but i mean she'd probably like to pour herself anyways yeah. yeah but but we don't watch her actually making the drink. We just watch her her head as she's opening the bottle. Yeah, like and the bottle and, and the glass and everything are out of frame completely. And so then, we only get her from, you know, mid-waist up. up. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it, you know, why? why? Why do we have to watch this? Why are they silent while this is happening? Mm-hmm. Why does Albert not step in and continue the conversation? Why? Why? You know, this is yeah. these are the whys that happen in my head as a, as a storyteller. Um, and it feels like it's deliberately, again, slowing the pace down. It mm-hmm. is saying, here, we're going to watch someone do something very mundane. And we're not even going to watch them do it. We're going to watch their face as, as they do it. As they're doing it. Um, and it is, it, it's basically a, a foretelling of what's coming in the rest of the episode. Right. Um, so I absolutely think this scene could be seen out of order yeah. uh, with the other scenes that we see later yeah. on. Uh, just because this whole episode seems to be 
determined to throw you off off balance mm-hmm. and keep you waiting and guessing and uh, just sitting there watching not much of anything mm-hmm. uh, as the story slowly moves on. So it's just something to notice before we uh, we go on to the next scene. Which is just Jerry running through a field. So he's That's finally <laughs> left the forest and uh, and he's now running through a field. He trips and falls and gets up and keeps running. So um, either he's made it out or he's just in a clearing and is maybe he's running towards something. I, I thought with the connection between this and the, the next scene that maybe he was running towards town and he was going to run into this grocery store, which mm-hmm. is the next place that we saw. That's not what happened. But um, just again, these cuts between scenes are throwing us off in a way that, you know, in a typical movie, you would expect two scenes like this to, to have some kind of relation to one another, and they don't. They don't. Um, which is just cool mm-hmm. that's just something else to to uh some other way of subverting expectations in this in the return um but we do go to the grocery store we do go to the grocery store and we meet up with sarah palmer so sarah this palmer. is the scene from the uh trailers that were released mm-hmm. of sarah walking down the aisle of a grocery store um looking a little haggard a uh, little yeah. frazzled you know she's she doesn't look well. And she's shopping for, well, she's got two bottles of tomato juice in her cart. And she goes over to the the alcohol aisle in the grocery store thing is something that as, as Canadians, or at least in Alberta, you don't see that. It's always Weird. a shock to us when we, yeah. when we go to other countries and you can buy your alcohol in a grocery store. Um, so she's, she's just, it's one-stop shop. She just mm-hmm. gets everything she needs to make a Caesar, I'm guessing, with the exception of the celery. I didn't see any celery, but... Or rimming salt. It's a very simple Caesar. It's yeah, tomato yeah. juice and vodka. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she she gets three bottles of vodka. She seems very elated when she finds the vodka or when she's when she sees the alcohol. Anyway, a big mm-hmm. smile. Well, not a big smile, but she's happy. She's happy. And she picks up three. Three. Bottles. It looks like she's looking for more, and, but there's only three, yeah. so she'll just have to settle for three. Yeah. And then she wheels her cart over to the to the cashier and asks for a carton of Salem's. So cigarettes. Yeah. This is literally all she buys. Two bottles of tomato juice, three bottles of vodka, and a carton of cigarettes. Yeah. Um, I don't know how she's surviving, but apparently she is. <laughs> it's yeah, it uh, you know. Yeah, it's it's something, uh, but this is just a preamble to her to the real meat of the scene, which yeah. is her. She spots behind the checkout counter uh, some turkey jerky. Yeah. Um, and this just sends her for a trip. Let's yes, just describe it that way. I don't remember seeing those beef jerky there before. Uh, that's new. What type is it? Uh, it's turkey, not beef. Is it smoked? Uh, I I think so. It's the same as beef jerky, except made from turkey. Were you here when they first came? Uh, yes. They brought it in a couple weeks ago. Your room seems different. And men are coming. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I know what you mean. I am trying to tell you that you have to watch out. Things can happen. Something happened to me. Something happened to me. 
And then she asks, uh, is it smoked? And at that point, the fire walk with me music, mm-hmm. uh, that electrical distortion of, you know, that was mostly at Fat Trap Trailer Park, but it, really anytime the Black Lodge spirits were around, comes in mm-hmm. and it, it seems to take over her mind. It, it was like, um, this was something that interesting that came up. We, we were lucky enough to meet up with the Diane podcast crew in Brighton um, last week. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that came up was how Diane constantly seems to be smoking. It's just that's what we've come to associate her with is chain smoking and vodka. Mm-hmm. Here's another character who's who's yeah. clearly a chain smoker. We know that from the original series. She's got tons of vodka in her in her cart too. Um, so is there some connection now between smoking and being on fire and the fire that consumes people from mm-hmm. within? Mm-hmm. Is smoking somehow an external um, representation in some way of that inner turmoil that's going on? The fact that she hones in on, on and asks about whether beef jerky or the turkey jerky is smoked, smoked. was was very, yes. very interesting. Yes. And it seems like she has a personality split is how kind of how mm-hmm. I interpreted it, right? Mm-hmm. It was just this, she's she talks to herself as Sarah. She says, yeah. Sarah, get, get the keys, go to the car, you know, just leave this place. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it made me wonder, is that was that her mental condition that was hinted at in Fire Walk with me right. and other things? Well, and the, the original series, too. Yeah, exactly. Like, like what was the what was the it that was happening again uh, when she was talking to Laura in right. the Missing Pieces, right? right? Was it was it a uh, multiple personality disorder? Was it something Some else? Kind of... the, the fact that there's the Black Lodge music really makes it feel like there's a spirit inhabiting Sarah in some way. Um, it well, lines up perfectly with our frickin'. A it, it does, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. That that if Sarah that was Palmer, Sarah Palmer was the character who ingested the the fricket mm-hmm. back in part eight. Um, that that she says that something happened to me. Mm-hmm. She says it a couple of times, yes. and then says that she doesn't feel good. Um, and whenever a character repeats something, she repeats something happened to me twice, and then she repeats I don't feel good four or five times. Yeah. I mean, it just you have to focus on it because, mm-hmm. and it's not just because Sarah has always been a little bit unstable. And this is beyond that. Like, this is not just... It's sad in a different way than it was sad to see her break down in the original series with the death of her mm-hmm. uh, daughter and husband. This is like... And it's even... It, I think it's even harder to watch because these characters that she's interacting with, the the, the bag the bag boy and the cashier, um, they don't seem to know or care or... I mean, they're it's 25 years. They, they weren't around when... No. They don't know Sarah Palmer the way that other people know Sarah Palmer and they maybe don't understand Sarah Palmer. Um, so it's, it's, that was the first thing that struck me before I even thought about the fact that she might be inhabited by something, mm-hmm. which is certainly hinted at in, in the next thing that we see her in, which we'll get to, but, yeah. um, well, and it's also, uh, people have raised the point, which I'd kind of forgotten about last episode of season two, you know, she goes to yeah, yeah, the yeah. diner and speaks to major Briggs with a disembodied black yeah. lodge voice of right. some sort. We thought maybe it was uh, Wyndham Earl or perhaps Mike or something like that, mm-hmm. or the arm or something. Mm-hmm. We couldn't really tell. Um, and, you know, so perhaps she's just a portal or a gateway to to this other thing herself. Maybe she is part of the coordinates, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there, there's some interesting But other ways things to read that, that she says are, are too on the nose. Like when she says, your room seems different. Mm-hmm. She's not talking about the grocery store. Like the fact that there's a different thing in the grocery store is what triggers it for her. But, but your room seems different. It's almost like she's talking to Laura. Did this girl remind her of Laura in some mm. way? Um, I don't know. But that 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 line really stuck out to me. I didn't hear it the first time, but watching it the second time with the subtitles is when I picked up on that. So, 
Um, definitely a lesson there to watch this with subtitles. I think if, yeah. you, haven't, yeah. if you haven't been doing that, you maybe should go back and do it because there's but, a lot that you, that you can miss. But the first time, it's good to just listen and see what you can hear, I think. So the next scene, uh, we jump to Fat Tra- Trailer Park and we get the man I'm now going to call Saint Carl. Saint Carl. Uh, who comes out and chases after a character named Criscoll, who mm-hmm. is kind of walking, ambling up the driveway. And Carl hammers in on him about donating blood, um, selling blood, which is, again, another thing that does not happen in Canada. You don't pay, you're not paid for when you donate blood. Um, but this is something that clearly Criscoll has been doing in order to make ends meet. And Carl says, you know, hints that he's been doing a lot of work around the the trailer park so he's going to pay him for his labor mm-hmm. and don't pay me rent this month and Chris Cole kind of seems a little taken aback but it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that's entirely out of character for Carl Rod so clearly this is not the gruff uh, trailer park owner that maybe we've expected well he still is way. I mean he still has the the thing you notice his sign still says 930 yeah. no never any earlier yeah it's in a half hour earlier or later a half I think. hour later than what it was in in so he, he's earned an extra half hour yeah sleep for sure um but you know he, so he's still a, a curmudgeonly kind of looking guy and sure. he still doesn't probably enjoy being woken up but he was always he was very kind to the FBI agents when they yeah, showed up you know absolutely I feel like he's just he's had a rough life perhaps and he's he's not the most immediately friendly person but when he recognizes good he he well he works and this is my this is what my my thesis has been all along with regard to these characters that we were introduced to when in the original series you're introduced to them and you get them all in their first scene and you get Mm -hmm. it you understand who they are here these are and and i guess starting in fire walk with me the introduction to these characters is being subverted in their subsequent scenes Mm -hmm. carl rod was not the kind of guy you would expect to you know let you go rent free for a month mm-hmm. not saying that he wouldn't it's just that's not the indication that you get from watching fire walk with me um so seeing him do that here or seeing the way he reacted to the little boy's mom when when the boy was hit by the car mm-hmm. um the way he reacted to shelly last week we're getting this expansion of his character in a way that is is unexpected in a way in, yeah. in a in a way and i like that because it, it deepens his character it complicates him i think that's that's a big thing is how these characters that we've come to expect are going to react in a certain way are are now being complicated by the things that are happening to them yes and this episode really almost ends with (laughs) with a major one so we'll get there the the last thing that that really stuck out to me is um carl's last line to crystal is that you've given enough already keep your blood keep your blood keep your blood you've given enough I, I just really think that's important, and I don't I can't explain why. <laughs> I really don't know why I feel like that's so important, oh, but no, I feel well, like it's just like, is it is it Carl uh, projecting that he's given enough, so he's trying to prevent other people around him from giving enough from giving too much? Does he know that that something? He he seems to be tapped in in a way. I I mean, and if you oh, yeah. go by what the secret history told us about Carl and Margaret being abducted. Um, he's the male he's, Margaret, he's, really. Yeah, yeah, he's tapped into this in a way that other yeah. people aren't. So, so knowing what he knows or experiencing, having experienced what he's experienced, um, to, to have him say you've given enough, well, and I, to try I, and prevent other people from giving too much is is important. Yeah, I also think just blood is yeah, really important too. in this in the series, and uh, you know we saw it in Leland's 
turning it into Gumbosia and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I feel like there's there's a there's just a metaphorical element to blood that mm-hmm. uh, is kind of subtle and under the the radar. It's not really yeah. you know up there in terms of you know corn and oil and, and yeah, stuff like that in the the, twin the visual piece ethos. Language. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, it is it is still there, and I feel like Carl's just tapping into that too. Yeah. So um, the next scene is kind of a throwaway scene. We we no, wondered about this. No, it Just is wait. the best scene. They have <laughs> because far. because this is the the first scene we saw again. The the clip or the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. little photo that shows up, the thumbnail photo that shows up on Creative TV was of this. Um, and we were like, oh, are the kids playing baseball again? Yeah. But then yeah, as soon as we saw, it, we're like, ah, oh, Dougie. Dougie and Sonny Jim are gonna have a catch, and but they, uh, don't. But it, they don't. It turns into man getting hit by baseball, which yeah. is a Simpsons reference, and uh, it doesn't go in the groin. And he doesn't say, oh, I'm a groin, but uh, oh he God. does He does get hit rather hilariously. It looks like in the shoulder. Some people were saying it was in his head. But I don't think it was his head. I think yeah. it was his chest or yeah, shoulder. Yeah, sure, something, something like that. But he just, you know, he doesn't react, of course. I don't know what Sonny Jim was hoping for yeah. out of that. Um, but it is our first father-son moment. Yes. This episode. And this episode is loaded with father-son moments. And this exactly. is this is one of the things that Joel, Joel Bacco, Bacco and uh, Joanna Robinson was were talking about, like, it, these episodes still have a particular flavor to them. And yeah. this episode is fathers and sons yeah. to some extent, uh, yeah. potentially mothers and daughters as well. In a certain sense, or, or the absence of mothers and son relationship yeah, as well. Yeah, so um, there's something there. but uh, And this is just the first hint of it. Yeah, yeah so here we have a, a father and son doing that very stereotypical American pastime, playing catch in the backyard. But again, t- completely subverted in the sense that you know, yeah, Doug can't Doug possibly can't. pay. So like, is Sunny Jim going to teach him? Is that going to be to to continue with your idea that that these experiences that Dougie is having are going to prepare him for life beyond the Red Room? Mm-hmm. Is this how he? Is this another way that he's going to experience some kind of happiness and intimacy with people? You know, in a in a paternal way, mm-hmm. father son way. Um, is this preparing him for the possibility that he has a son already out there in Richard Horn? Yeah. <laughs> who we learned didn't have a father growing yeah. up. Um, yeah. It so yeah, just nope. yeah, it's definitely there. So uh, we follow Hawk to the Palmer House. Yes, and we get um, that beautiful shot of the mountains with Laura's theme playing mm-hmm. and uh, Hawk approaching the house. And this this felt so much like original Peaks that it was it was crazy. Even to the point where when the camera zooms in on the fan twice, we get a shot of the fan. In the Palmer House, that 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 fan, that fan. <laughs> um, I got chills because it's such an ominous presence. Well, and we don't get the shot of it. We don't no. get it from up the stairs. We get it from outside, first of all. Yeah, through a window, through a doorway. Yeah, yeah. So, but but it's there, and yeah. it's instant. Yeah, it was like instant goosebumps as soon as you see it. Like, oh my god, that's the fan. This the is the house. The second time that we see it, it is from below, and it could be from the stairs, but it zoomed in and chopped off cropped in such a way that you only see a corner of it spinning but you get the shadows yeah you get the light the 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 after images really yeah. of the fan and and that's just brilliant it added a whole other dimension to mm-hmm. the to this fan image that's been so iconic in the series yeah. to add you know you don't even have to see the fan you can just see its shadows you can see the darkness that's literally well in this case above it yeah <laughs> but you know the the shadows that are underneath it um to to know that it's still an ominous evil figure uh, just it's great. It's it's kind of what the series has done all along. It's taken the old visual language yeah. and just you know bumped it up to eleven and added this new element to it. 
To link it with Sarah, though, is really interesting because previously the fan was always linked with Leland and Bob. So to have mm. Sarah be the one that comes out, well, and Laura to an extent because she yeah, would see But it was that. always Sarah's voice saying, Laura, you know, slow down with sure, the fan. It was her running up the stairs. But here we have Sarah answering the door and she's not herself. So this is what I, this is my point is that it doesn't seem like this is Sarah anymore. So you wanted to talk about, you mentioned it already, that mm -hmm. it seems like there's, um, some kind of inhabitation going on here so that's the link yeah. is that this this the electricity in the fan was how bob was getting into the house so the electricity in the fan is it channeling bob into sarah i think that's or something else or something else yeah. along the, the same lines mm -hmm. into sarah um because she doesn't seem at all happy to see hawk she's no. she's angry well um, i mean because she confronts him right away she's like you're not here to talk about an old file which is what yeah. hawk first says she's like you heard about what happened at the grocery store and he's like, well, do you feel okay now? And she's like, I feel fine now. And she's, I feel like she's just mad that... She, her she, day has been interrupted? Yeah, yeah. And she kind of made a fool of herself. So she may be a little embarrassed. And she's mad that now someone's coming in to... But like, then, I don't need to be checked on. Why are you coming to check on When me? there's a noise in the background, there's dishes mm -hmm. clattering, I think, in the kitchen or something. And Hog hears it. And Sarah hears it. And she kind of startles a bit. And that's when things kind of... Twist a little. Kind of change. And and Hawk presses. And, she's, and Sarah says... What damn bad story, isn't it, Hawk? But she says it through gritted teeth, like you can hear it in her voice. Oh, this mad. is not this is not the same Sarah. It's not quite a distorted voice, but it's definitely not um the same kind of pained voice that Sarah usually uses when she's aggravated or, mm -hmm. or um upset. And the fact that Hawk offers help of any kind yeah. He's not just offering police support or moral support. This is like, this is like Hawk offering spiritual support mm -hmm. of some sort because he knows. I think he knows that yeah. that something is not right in Sarah's soul, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where we leave it. Is with Sarah going back in the house and Hawk having the door shut in his face. Um, and it's yeah, and it's really interesting because. I mean, we're coming closer back to Laura mm -hmm. and Twin Pigs all the time. We've mm -hmm. talked about this many times, is that we're circling back towards this place. Yeah. Um, and Sarah is one of the the absolute biggest ones. You yeah. know, she is she's the mother of Laura. Yeah. Now that we know Laura potentially was some sort of mystical being. Right. <laughs> or, or, you know, in some ways connected to that higher level of perhaps the White Lodge, whatever the giant question mark dude represents. Mm -hmm. Um you know, Sarah's role in that is going to be very important as mm -hmm. well. So seeing her here feels like a perfect timing thing, honestly. Like, mm -hmm. we were all like, okay, when is she going to show up? When is Audrey going to show up? We've been asking these questions forever with these major characters that we want to see. They're waiting until the end here. Like, this is now the end of the second act. Second act. This is, you know, two-thirds of the way through the show. We're finally getting these characters that are that are integral to the not just uh, the return to Twin Peaks, but the mythology and all of those pieces that are that are entwined there mm -hmm. so i think it's i think it felt like it felt like a real masterstroke to me i was like yes this is exactly when i want to find out more about sarah palmer mm -hmm. um and we got just enough to keep me intrigued um but also you know i want to know more i want to just answer the questions tell her what's tell him what's wrong tell hawk what's wrong please sarah i want someone to help you <laughs> So the next scene uh, takes us to Calhoun Memorial. Mm -hmm. We get a reused shot from the original series of oh, the it's hallway. A new shot. I don't think so. Really? I think it's. I think we've seen a lot of these reused shots that have just that been super high def. They've just really good up, upscaled them in some way. I think it's. I think it is. So we get a reused shot of the the Calhoun Memorial Hospital hallway, and uh, 
And we pan up on Miriam in bed. And a lot of people were, were expecting that this would be Audrey. I didn't think that. Immediately no, I, I thought, right Miriam, who's in yeah. the hospital? And I went to Miriam. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that, that that's where the show has been leading us maybe to think that Audrey was incapacitated in some way. And we thought it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's Miriam. And she's battered and bruised, but alive. Um, a, a quick cut to the next scene, which is Diane in the hotel bar wearing the same red uh, top with the leopard print shawl or not shawl stole or something uh and she gets a text mm-hmm. and the text pings in las vegas and she replies with they haven't asked yet yeah and that's all we get, from, we get. from that scene so the mystery deepens there mm-hmm. um it's interesting that the calhoun memorial scene is intercut with the scene with diane because the next scene goes to the great northern where um Ben learns about what Richard has done and what has happened to Miriam. So it would seem that those two scenes would fit together, but but there's this buffer in between well, of and, Diane. And, yeah, exactly. And the way Diane's is shot is, you know, she comes in, she sits down, she starts with a drink. Mm-hmm. And it's very particular, and, mm-hmm. and it's mirrored again later on. So I feel mm-hmm. like this one was, yeah. was given a buffer space in order for you to focus on the fine-tuned aspects of the shot itself and so also, that when you see it again yes exactly you can you can pick up on the differences so um but then in this great northern scene we get um a lot of exposition of things that we already know mm-hmm. uh sheriff truman comes in well beverly introduces him sheriff truman comes in ben finds out that richard hit the boy and beat up miriam yeah. and that he's on the run uh, and the Miriam's in the hospital, and that's why part of why Sheriff Truman's there is to ask Ben to pay for her medical bills. And of course, Ben is going to do this. Yep. And uh, and that's really, I mean, it's all exposition. At the end of the scene, Ben says all of that same stuff to Beverly again. Yeah. Um, so this is a very long scene that doesn't give us much new information. No. At again. least in that in that regard, we do find out uh, they that uh, Ben and Truman. Sorry, Ben and Frank have a conversation about Harry mm-hmm. uh, when Ben just asks about Harry and then also hands over the key to the Great Northern, the room 315. He wants to give it to Harry as kind of a memento of Agent Cooper, which I thought was interesting. That that well, a, a friendship yeah. from 25 years ago that lasted for a month clearly had an impact on Harry. Yeah. Or how would Ben have known that anyway? Like that—that's the other question—is why and why would Ben care? It, it well, doesn't small, jibe with yeah. with the the way that Ben acted back then. I don't think he would have even noticed that Harry and Coop had a friendship that well, would have necessitated or or would have warranted this kind of it's a, handover of yeah. the key to his hotel room as a memento. It's a, it's it was, a, it's it a strange. small town. I mean, everybody knows, and Harry probably would have been pretty beat up if Cooper just disappeared, mm-hmm. right? And no word, uh, especially if bad things have happened. If uh, but why would Ben care? Like that's no, that's because this is good Ben. This, this is, is good Ben. Yeah, so is, so yeah. it's it. it I, I just have so many questions about Ben. I love all the scenes. Richard Beamer is still just oh, phenomenal yeah, watching these so scenes great. of him, you know, just drawing out these yeah. this conversations with, with Robert Forster. It's, they're brilliant to watch, well, even he, if they aren't saying much of anything. No, and that's the thing. It's like you're just you're with him for the anguish of finding out that his grandson is doing all these terrible things mm-hmm. and, you know, that he's, he's really beat up by it and that him and frank have this also probably a really long-term relationship he was the the manager of the football team that harry played sure, on so i'm sure he would have known history of twin peaks exactly yeah. there's all sorts of connections there right and well and, and i mean it's another way it's it's to bring harry into the show um with michael on not back yet maybe asterisks on that one yeah. 
um, it, it's it's a long conversation to be had about a mm-hmm. character who hasn't been on screen. So like Jeffries, this off-screen character who we may not see, but who has a major presence in the lives of, well, for up until this point, only Frank. Yeah. But also now um, Ben's been thinking about him too. Exactly. Uh, two, two things on the first part of the scene yep. with, with uh, Frank and, and Ben. Uh, first is that Harry's health uh, seems to almost be acting as like a, 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 meta, a metaphor or a symbolic stand-in for the moral righteousness of uh, the town and mm. the series itself. Yeah. You know, we're hoping for the best, for Harry to come out in the good. Yeah. You know, but there's always this looming specter of death and evil hanging over Harry. So I feel like if we get a happy ending in this series, we're going to see Michael Ankin. Yeah. If we don't, we'll get word that he died in right. like part 17. And right. then we'll be like, okay, this is going to be, <laughs> you know. So that's I your prediction, like, your long term uh, prediction. My long term prediction is that the two are connected. He, that... Harry's health is the canary in the coal mine. That for is Aiden. exactly it. Okay. Um, probably totally wrong, but we'll, we'll see about that. Um, the other thing is that Audrey's absence in the scene is so acute even the first time i watched it not knowing what we know about future scenes i was like why are they not talking about audrey audrey is in all likelihood richard's mother well yeah yeah that's what it seems like for sure yeah Uh, we do get information that uh harry or richard never had a father yeah he says that to frank no to beverly he does say it to beverly so we'll get there in a second um but yeah audrey's they don't talk about audrey at all like you think it would come up like are you going to call Audrey and let her know that her son has done this? Right. Or is that up to me yeah. as a sheriff? Like, they don't discuss that yeah. at all. In fact, the fact that he comes to uh, Ben ostensibly first before yeah. he even looks for Audrey uh, is very telling. Yeah, it's, it, it's it really makes you wonder. We've thought in the past that maybe Audrey has not had a role at all in her son's upbringing for whatever reason. And that Ben and maybe... Sylvia, but definitely Ben, have been the primary caregivers mm-hmm. for Richard, Richard Horn. Yeah. Um, so that certainly stands out with his with Richard's treatment of Sylvia a couple episodes ago, and now with the way that um, everybody's treating, well, at least how Frank is treating Ben. Um, the assumption is that these are the, the well, that Ben is the the primary caregiver, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because when Beverly comes in and Ben relates all of this back to her. He says that that Richard never really had a father. Mm-hmm. And that um, has led some people to think that maybe uh, Ben is is lamenting the fact that he, he is actually Richard's father, mm-hmm. that this is one of his illegitimate children with somebody else. Could be. And that, um, that he raised Richard as his grandfather, father. but not his father. So that could be something that you could read into that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's entirely possible. But... Um, but what what seems more in keeping with with what we've, we've been, seen, yeah, so it's far. that he had no father because they don't know who the father is, and whether that the assumption is that it was John Justice Wheeler and he never returned, or some unknown person who Audrey had a relationship with, we we just don't know yet. Still, but um, but it, it's another reference to fathers and sons that mm-hmm. comes up, and and Ben waxes poetic on a Schwinn bike that he had that yeah. his father gave him this two tone green um, bike yeah. that he was given as a boy that he used to ride around with his friends in. And as he's telling the story to Beverly, Beverly starts crying. It's clearly a very touching moment, and mm-hmm. and Ben tells it, you know, very emotionally as well. Like you know, he's he's totally wrapped up in this memory. 
but it all comes back to the fact that his grandson went astray presumably because he didn't have a father figure in his life and it's interesting because they don't mention like you said mothers aren't brought up at all it's always the relationship between sons and fathers that are that are and and it's something that other people have brought up in relation to the the rumination on um from Mark Frost towards his father, you know, writing this as his father was was dying and with Warren Frost having passed mm. away not long ago, um, that takes on extra weight, right? So people have been thinking about this a lot, that fathers and sons are going to play a big role. And here we see it really condensed in one episode. There's so many references. So here in Absent Father, we had Cooper, Dougie Coop, as the present father who's kind of not really there, mm. but he's there, he's in, there. Pre- in physical, physical form. form yeah. Um, doing that that time honored pastime yeah. with with his son. Yeah. Here we have reference to a co- totally absent father, who is just not even present yeah, at, all, at all as yeah. a force in any way. Yeah. Um, the next father son scene we see is a father being forcibly removed from his son's life. So yeah. um, by outside forces that are beyond anybody's control, really. Mm-hmm. So uh, what what is that saying about? You know, if, 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 to continue with your metaphor of Harry being the, the, uh, kind of moral, if he, if if he's the, the moral compass for the show, for the town, Mm -hmm. and Michael Onkin always said that in the original series, he always felt like the designated driver, I think was how Mm -hmm. he put it. Um, if he's kind of the father figure and he's not there, you know, is that another, is, is this another reference to that, this absent father figure? We're all missing Harry so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why the town's gone astray. Mm-hmm. I like that. No, that's that's really good. Um, the other, just say, yeah, and I, I totally agree, love everything. Uh, one small piece of this thing, it has nothing to do with the father-son relationships. It's just a small piece about Miriam. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben can't remember her last name. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get confirmation that it's Sullivan, though, mm-hmm. from from Frank. Um, but I'm wondering, because that, that image was slowed down, and it does say Miriam Rogers or Miriam something. On the, the letter from... The letter that, that uh, Lucy failed to, no, to that, capture no that chad, chad intercepted, intercepted. Yeah. yeah lucy never got that's what i was saying oh okay yeah, okay the, yeah yeah. i took the long way of saying that uh but yeah uh i'm wondering if that is going to come up again uh if there's going to be another miriam somewhere mm-hmm. and something bad has happened to her too i don't know what's going on with the whole miriam and last name but it just came up again so yeah the fact that she has a last name it was said in this scene but ben forgot it ben forgot it yeah. i think that's just it could be interesting. It'll probably be nothing. Probably literally the the reddest of herrings. But mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just making. We haven't had a lot of red herrings yet that we know of. It's true. A lot of what we've seen has come true on screen, yes. exactly as we expected, or or in a way very close to what we expect. So, um, so I think you're onto something. People are onto something when when they look at the the way that we all scrutinize the the end credits for yeah. characters' names. I think it's important. I think these things are going to be important. In what way? I have no idea. But. It's there. Um, so then the so, next yeah. scene. Uh, we are back in Buckhorn. Yeah. Uh, back at the hotel. Back at but the in hotel. Gordon's room. In Gordon's room. Uh, and here he is. He has a woman on his shoulder as he sits on the couch. 
she's looking up at him and he's telling a story ostensibly about some sort of FBI bust or something. He's talking same about same way that he told Shelley about his, yeah, exactly. his big adventure that that yeah. how, when he was wooing her in the booth at the the double R. Yeah. So this is his uh, his usual uh, pattern. I it's guess. his go to. It's his pickup line. It's yeah. what he puts on Tinder. It's it's the <laughs> the thing that hooks him in, right? Yeah, and it apparently works. <laughs> I don't know how Tinder works. Is that what you do? <laughs> I don't know. That's your opening. Is there were 75 guys on a mountain and they were coming at me. Um, but anyways, uh, there's a knock at the door. Yeah. Uh, he gets up. It's Albert. Um, and so he asks, Albert asks his uh, Cole's friend to leave. Yeah. Um, and what we get is two and a half minutes. We did time it. Two minutes and 34 seconds or something like that. Yeah. Between when he asks her, says, I'll call you at the bar. And she actually leaves. So in that time, she puts on a sweater, her shoes. Shows him off. Uh, Cole says, Trey Chic. Uh, she checks her makeup, smiles, puts on lipstick, uh, and his mouth mirrors yeah, her he's for a little bit. Her he's expression, mimicking her expression, which is great. Which is just hilarious. We get a first shot of Albert, who's just staring at this. Uh, she sniffs her wine, takes a gulp, admires it for a bit, sorts her dress out, stands up, and has to, like, you know, shimmy it. Um, Albert's eyebrows lift at that point. Um, and then Cole starts walking her out. They make their way to the doorway. She smiles, kisses him goodbye, blowing it on her, her hand and then eventually making its way to her lips, to his lips, sorry. Albert sighs. She poses in the doorway and then leaves. Mm -hmm. Two and a half minutes. That that should have taken five seconds. Oh, sorry, dear. Can I meet you outside? And she yeah. says, enchanté. And he kisses her hand and she leaves and we get all of it done. So why isn't that taking five seconds? That Because he wants to make you wait. I think that's the only way think I think that's the only way to really interpret it is that he's saying, no, we're going to we're going to luxuriate in a beautiful woman preparing to leave a room for some reason. Mm -hmm. I, I really I don't I don't I it bothered me like I was watching this. We were laughing I, or at least I was laughing the first time. We watched well, this. I was laughing, but out of a bit of frustration. Yes, you were like, point. oh, but it was also three uh. thirty in the morning. So <laughs> exactly. Um, and and it, it was interesting. So uh then next, he goes up to Albert and he tells well, just, Albert just, a joke. Well, just, 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 okay. Chikai. Sorry. Chikai. Because I disagree with you. That okay. This is, that this is something just wanting us to luxuriate yes, yes. in this moment. Because I don't, I don't think that with, with all the things that David Lynch has put into his character and the way that, that Denise talked to him in the first scene mm -hmm. that they had together, um, the criticism and flack that he's taken for uh, having Christabel as an actor and Tammy as a, an FBI agent be so closely associated with his character, his cipher on screen. Um, I don't think this is just a scene of him being around a pretty woman. It's certainly part of it, uh, but it's not the only thing. What do you think it is? I think it's very interesting that we have another character, a very tall, beautiful finely quaffed stylized character she looks like sophia loren from you know mm -hmm. early yeah, yeah, 60s it, yeah. you know uh very very stylish woman doing very meticulous things with her clothing and her appearance and it reminded me almost immediately especially on second watch of lil in firewalk with me the way that she danced around and had her hand in her pocket and squeezed her fist and and the way that her outfit was was done up and i know you're making a face yeah, at I'm me right face, now sorry. but i'm trying to be open <laughs> but i just i think and i think that that's even further hammered home 
with the conversation that happens next between Albert and Gordon. When uh, Gordon tells the, the, the king of all dad jokes about turnips. She's here visiting a friend of her mother whose daughter has gone missing. The mother owns a turnip farm. I told her to tell the mother that her daughter will turn up eventually. She didn't get it either. Uh, Albert doesn't seem to get it. But I oh. don't think it's that he doesn't get it. I think he gets it and can't believe that it's, it's being, being told. told. Him, yes. <laughs> but I also think that, that this is a setup for a conversation that has been skirted around by these two for a while. And I hadn't, I hadn't bought into this argument really fully that something was up with Albert until this episode, until part 12. But when Gordon says that he, he talks about, he, he tells the turnip joke, says that it doesn't translate. Uh, and then Gordon says there are 6,000 languages spoken on, on the earth. He's, he's talking about languages. He's talking about communication. And Albert isn't saying anything. And he doesn't really seem to be on the same page or on the same wavelength. And when Gordon, at the end of all of this, Albert does deliver the information that they've intercepted the, the texts that Diane has been sending and receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gordon does ask, what do we know that we haven't asked her about? Which is a very interesting question that we can talk about. But the fact that Gordon says... So, Albert, sometimes I really worry about you. And and the look on his face, it's not that he worries about him because, oh, you didn't get my turnip joke. Or, oh, you didn't respond to the beautiful woman in, in the room the way that I would expect you to. It's deeper than that. I think that there's something going on with Albert. And this, he would have expected the way that Chet Desmond picked up on all the clues that Lil had and Sam didn't. He expects Albert to be the Chet Desmond in this situation. And he didn't pick up on that. And I don't know, I don't know why that is. Is it because something's wrong with Albert? Is Albert just not up to snuff? Well, dude, I, I totally disagree. I don't think that's mm-hmm. how, it's not how I would read it at all uh, for a couple reasons I'll get into. But um, it does raise a good question about Albert. I mean, mm-hmm. Albert, what we know about him is fairly limited, mm-hmm. um, except for he was one of the first ones on the Blue Rose case. And he's the only one who's still around. Right. Is that because he knows something that the other agents didn't mm-hmm. and he's perhaps been working for someone else mm-hmm. the whole time? I mean, the fact that he gave uh, Cooper, as Doppel Cooper, yeah, information that wound up getting a guy killed in Columbia, Columbia. Yeah. Uh, you know, that casts a bit of a shadow on, on yeah. Albert a little bit. Um, he managed to skirt around it with Cole by saying, well, I got duped or, you know, implying that yeah. Cooper, you know, fool, fooled him in some way. Um, but perhaps not. I mean, and that is, I mean, we've been questioning characters a lot this series it's kept us questioning about the motives of everybody mm-hmm. and you brought up a good point like we're supposed to be questioning diane this whole time yeah but perhaps we should be questioning albert well and i i brought that up at the very beginning when when the doesn't get any bluer scene mm-hmm. happened and and gordon says albert's name three times which was interesting in the context of repetition and the number three um because also when the evolution of the arm says bob's name three times um, those scenes happen fairly close together within mm-hmm. that first four hours. So I, I, I've been a little bit suspicious of Albert all along. But this scene really did hammer that home a little bit more for me that maybe something is not entirely okay with yeah. Albert. Yeah. 
But why don't you think that this is... I just think the the context and the situation is different. Albert barged into this yeah. to this room. Cole was enjoying the conversation of a woman, which is, I think we are supposed to uh, draw a comparison to Shelley. I don't think this woman was prepared to act as a cipher in any mm-hmm. way. Um, and I don't think... She doesn't look at Albert. She doesn't do any... And it's not stylized. It's just literally the movements of a woman. Yeah, preparing. but I mean, she's putting on her lipstick and very. It's it, not in a stylized way, but she's being meticulous about it. And the way that she shows off her and it, you know, the Labutan heels. They're not uh, just any heels. They're they're fancy, you know, expensive heels. And um, she's a fine Bordeaux, Lindsay. Like, let's face it. I mean, well, and that's, it's yeah. I I get it, and I totally agree with you that that the the situation is different. It's not Gordon leading them to an airplane hangar and mm-hmm. showing them this person that he's planted there. And, yeah. But Gordon seems to know more than what he is leading on. So or yeah. what he's letting on. So sure. I mean, he could have known that Albert was going to come in because he could have known that Diane had received this text. Maybe his little red box told him, told about, him it. about it. First, and he yeah. was waiting there with this woman until Albert showed up. And then this whole thing was was planned from it, before. It is a possibility. I, I can't put anything past anything. But the initial read I had was not. And, I mean, we got that uh, Lil... She she was a little more stylized. It was a little more sure, odd. yeah. It, it couldn't be explained as social, uh, natural social occurrences. No, were, nobody has something... hair that color. Yeah, and... or stomps their yeah. feet that way with one hand in a pocket, right? But... Um, yeah, but, but what no, do you make of is... what do you make of the the fact that here we have another another instance of a language is being talked about, and this was mm-hmm. secret a secret language that Lil had that Chet knew that Sam didn't. Yeah, um, and here there there's also there's the a same language as, breakdown. Yeah, exactly, and and, uh, yep. and that's always been the case. We've seen so many language breakdowns. We have it again here where Albert asks him, uh, "What kind, kind is, is it? it?" He gives the time instead. But yeah, but it, then it, but then also second thing is that. In the scene with Lil, and also in this scene, we have references to, in in Fire Walk with Me, it's his mother sister's girl. Yes, that's Here, true. Here, he's talking about um, a woman, a mother whose daughter is missing. He doesn't refer to them by names. He refers to them by their familial relationship yeah. to one another, yeah. and um, and that forms the basis of his joke about the turnip. Mm-hmm. So it's. It's interesting that that Gordon, a man who can't hear for shit, is engaging in wordplay with a man who isn't saying a word yeah. and who doesn't seem to understand what Gordon is getting at. Yeah. And the fact that, that we've been wondering about Albert because of what we said previously and in a couple of times, starting way back in Fire Walk, our Fire Walk With Me episode, if Albert, who we know is a skeptic from the original series, were to have experienced the thing that he saw in Philadelphia, he would no longer be a skeptic when he came to Twin Peaks. So it feels like a paradox yeah. has been set up in that sense. Um, well, and if he's been on the Blue Rose cases his whole exactly. career, why is he... So why is he so skeptical? So I'm, I'm suspicious. I'm deeply suspicious of Albert at this point. If nothing else, the French woman... Um, who a lot of people have said it, it, this is just another instance of misogyny, and I totally think that's wrong. It's way off. I don't think that this is. Oh, I think it's just purely like. Mm, I felt a little icky about it. Like it was pretty. Okay, objectifying. it's a little. It's a little icky, but I feel like there's more to it than that. I feel like this is mm. we're supposed to. There's a code that we're supposed okay, to. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I know that. That. But disagreeing with that. If you don't see it that way, if you don't think there's a code yeah. there, it is just two and a half minutes of a woman vamping again mm-hmm. for the camera and for Lynch up close. And that, yeah. that is a little unsettling but in again, some ways. But again, just the fact that, that he's aware of it and David Lynch is aware of it and Gordon Cole is aware that other people are perceiving him that way, I don't think he's going to keep going down that route unironically. 
there's something, it, it, there's a subtext there that we're supposed to read into. Maybe. I'm open to it for sure. Sometimes I really worry about you. So next we go uh, to presumably around Yankton Federal Prison somewhere. Yeah. Uh, there's a Still house. Still in South Dakota. We're in South Dakota. Um, there's a shot of a house and then it pans down and we get a black van that's above it, perhaps on a, on a public street or something like that. Um, and inside we see Hutch mm-hmm. uh, preparing a sniper rifle uh, to uh, kill, the, kill warden. the warden. Yeah, the warden's arriving home. Um, Chantel is in the front seat, Chantel's and she's seat. sitting there eating Cheetos yeah. and and complaining that they don't have time to torture him. Yeah, like but Hutch is being a very nice husband. Yeah, he's, he's going like, to try and find as many ways as possible to uh, to orchestrate it so that they have so that they can they can't torture, torture him. him. Like but she's gonna, so hungry. She wants Wendy's. She wants Wendy's. That's all she wants. Um, and it's uh, understandable. I love Wendy's too. In fact, they don't have Wendy's in Paris. We're gonna get that when we get back. By sure, way. whatever you say, dear. Uh, so then uh, we watch as the warden pulls in. Um, and we get a shot of Hutch aiming down the barrel. We get it from the sniper's point of view. And then we also get it looking back and you get His into Hutch's blink, eye. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of interesting. It's a just a visually cool shot. Um, Warden gets out, gets shot once in the back uh, as he walks towards his front door. And then uh, Hutch kills him with a presumably a shot to the head or something like that. Um, and he collapses and he's dead. And then the kid... So the warden's son runs out in this heartbreaking little moment, you know, screaming for his daddy um, as he's dead there on on the steps in front of his house. Well, Hutch says, next stop, Wendy's, and drives off. So <laughs> it's it's so cold-blooded. And again, just the, this is the scene of, of another father and son having their relationship shattered, mm-hmm. um, but in a very different way. Just mm-hmm. being forcibly removed from, from his son's life right in front of his eyes. Yeah. Um, it's it's another instance of just it's not as over the top in terms of gore like we saw with Tracy and Sam's murder or um, the the murder that Ike the Spike couple of murders that we saw yeah. Ike the Spike do uh, or the boy being hit by the car any of those things it's not it's not like that but it's heartbreaking in another sense because we 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 know that this relationship is never going to be well it's over. And that's going to be a scarring moment for this poor child for the rest of his life. So um, is this, you know, a parallel to Richard now, you know, a boy having his father taken away from him? He's going to grow up without a father. Is this going to set up another chain of events that we're never going to see because there's only six hours left and they're not going to spend time on the warden's son for six hours, I hope? (laughs) Um, Is this going to lead to more crime and more upset down the road for this boy? Yes. Uh, it seems like the broken down father son relationship is the is the source of conflict, depending on how it how it plays out. And in in the case of Dougie and Sunny Jim, it's not that the relationship is broken down. I don't think there was much of a relationship there to begin no. with. This might be the most interaction yeah. that Sunny Jim has ever had with his father. Yeah. So, in that sense, maybe the the absent mental state that Dougie Coop has is it's still it's enough that he's there physically present Mm -hmm. that's all that is required in order to have a positive influence on the sun so if we want to talk about any kind of social um commentary that's going on you know as a teacher i see it all the time with parents who are absentee in in their kids lives and how that affects them in the school Mm -hmm. um maybe it is just being physically present is enough I don't think that's necessarily what's going on, no. but it's something you could read into it, I suppose. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because uh, the only major father-son relationship that we had in the original series was was Bobby and, and Major Briggs and, yeah. and their kind of uh, path back to having a, right. a healthier relationship and presumably um, 
that that movement helped Bobby uh, go on reform. the path towards yeah exactly yeah. reform and and do some good with his life. Well, and now um, his father, who's been gone for a long time too, exactly. but he's managed to keep his life on the straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it it brings into play some of the things we saw in the last episode with the father and son and the hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the camouflage outfits, yep. right? The yep. boy who shot up the double R. Um, is that, are we are we meant to see that? I think we are. I think we're meant to see yeah. those as, as being related. Yeah, these you know, parallels are all over the place for sure. Yeah. Breakdown in those families. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that it's only fathers and sons. When we see uh, mother-daughter and... relationships, like yeah. we only really have Shelly and... Becky, so, Becky far. so far. We had Laura and Sarah. Laura and uh, Sarah, who didn't really have a great connect, relationship. Yeah. We had uh, Donna and her mother in the original series, who, again, yeah. and, didn't and really then, connect. Yeah, and Audrey and her mother, who was not even really a character yeah. in the end. So, yeah, it, there's a lot there. Uh, and then, But you also had fathers and daughters, mm-hmm. which is something we haven't seen much of at all but we had doc mm-hmm. hayward and donna who had a fairly i mean doc hayward was kind of the quintessential Good dad father, right yeah. he was the, the he was the positive male role model for the entire town yep. in that sense um so his relationship with his daughters was was important we have bobby and becky um which doesn't really seem positive at all well not not in the sense that i, I don't think it's out of malice or it's neglect i think it's just uh yeah it's 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 fallen into dis- disrepair yeah. i mean they, they're divorced and presumably they 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 don't have a natural right uh way to be together really so yeah it's it's all there i think it's really really interesting uh to to watch how this morphs and perhaps changes as we get um cooper back into town perhaps how that impacts things uh and i think sheriff truman's but also when really we important. get to um Yes, the next. Scenes with Richard and, and uh, well, implications between Richard and his mother. Yes, are also going to be important. So the next scene was an interesting one because it's uh, Dr. Jacoby or Dr. Amp doing his uh, his vlog uh, up on the peaks of, or uh, up in the, the, yeah, Hindu, the Hindu Kush. Kush. The, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, and, and it's, it's interesting it, because it's basically exactly recycled. Probably exactly if taken not, from the If not 100% shots. reused from the original, like the first time we saw this, it's like an alternate take because this is almost identical to it, what we the, saw. For the first half at least. Yeah. So he, it skips over a few things and it, then exactly. goes to his commercial. It goes for straight the to his commercial and then we get Nadine. Um, and again, she hasn't moved either. She's still got this milkshake or something in yeah. her hand. She's still watching it. It could be the same time. And, and this is, again, where the series is really testing our ability to determine when things are happening is this literally just the exact same thing and we're just seeing it again yeah is it the exact same thing that happens every night yeah does he just release the exact same vlog because the thing that he says at the end with um because he's talked about a few different things he talks about corporations he's talked about uh the healthcare industry here he talks again about corporations but it goes into a politics yeah how they buy politicians and and Um, get them to sing while we choke and die yeah Yeah. and and it seems like he always has a tirade that he launches against someone is the beginning of his thing always the same like is his shtick always the same every time or is this all one big long video that he just i I feel like this is a weekly thing well yeah the fact that he rings the bell and it's like seven o'clock and everything i yeah i feel like it is but i don't know why why we're seeing the same footage and then some parts are not the same yes I, yeah, I can't tell if it was just they filmed it once and they were like, okay, we'll just reuse it. Like, honestly, that 
it doesn't feel it. I don't think Lynch would do that with no purpose, but it's a possibility. He's just like, oh, no, we got this. Uh, what's the actor's name again? Russ Tamlin. Russ Tamlin. Like, we got this, Russ. Just don't worry. We, we did the one take. We got it good. We're done. And yeah, no, I don't. I don't, I don't feel think, like that. I don't think the, that's how it works. I think. Either, so. I think that this. There's a reason that we're seeing it over again. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what that is at this point. I have point. no idea what that is. So uh, this is something we'll have to come revisit. I think. Uh, so we get this, this shrill shrieking Doctor Amp video, uh, banging on the the gong and the, the John Philip Sousa yeah. music playing, and we cut to. Uh, Audrey. Audrey Horn. Audrey Horn standing in front of a fireplace in a in a. Kind of a very overstuffed library or study or something. Study, yeah, office of some sort. Um, and first of all, how did you feel when you saw Audrey finally after twelve weeks and many? Well, not twelve weeks, but twelve hours. Our regular poll, Audrey's yeah. appearance was always on <laughs> always the list. Always on the bits, predict, predicts. Yeah, and this week, uh, it was I just all threw Audrey. caution to the wind. I was just like, you know what? We're gonna step on the scale. We're gonna just uh, front load this. It's all gonna be Audrey. So we're always. If she shows up, we're right. And she showed up. up. She showed up. So how did you feel? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You weren't excited? I remember you were like, oh, we both had that instant well, it was like, gasp I didn't of really, like, oh my God, it's Audrey. I kind of thought, is it her? Because I, I was in disbelief. I'm like, maybe it's just someone who looks like her. <laughs> or it's it's the character or the actress playing a Sherilyn Fenn playing someone else, which is right. something we yeah, heard might exactly, have happened. So exactly. we, I, I was... But as soon as they showed her the second time, I'm like, no, those eyebrows, course, that style, yeah. it's all there. But, but I didn't feel like the okay. So like, the scene as a whole, mm-hmm. I was I was baffled by yes, it. Yes, it is a baffling. It scene. It is a baffling scene. I think it's an intentionally baffling. I scene. think it is intentionally baffling. We're not gonna go through it because it, there's there's, there's just so too many much. names and Audrey is talking to a man named Charlie. Charlie. And she's looking for a man named Billy. Yes. Is really what it That's comes down to. That's the crux of the matter. They throw out a lot of other names. There's a Tina and there's a... There's a uh, Paul at one Paul, point. And uh, yeah, a Chuck. A Chuck. Um, and it feels like you don't really know what to get invested in. A lot of people have said this too. That you're being thrown a lot of different character names. And how are we supposed to know who to give a shit about? Because we've never seen any of these characters. And we don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. And they're just names mm-hmm. to us at this point. Clearly the characters on screen care about them. Yeah. But that's not enough to make us care about them really. No. And uh, and the, the snippets that we get, it's... it's I'm, I'm wary of this. Because like we've seen, like I've said... This is the first introduction, the reintroduction that we're having to Audrey and the introduction of Charlie, who we find out are married. Mm-hmm. And we can, I think we can reasonably expect that their relationship or the characterization that we're seeing will be subverted in some way in the coming episodes. So I'm not, I mean, Audrey comes off as a little bit shrewish. She's berating her husband for not going out and looking who, looking for Billy, who we find out is her lover. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sold on the idea that this is Audrey's entire character. We're going to see some mitigating factor that mm-hmm. is going to allow us to see another side to her, just yeah. like we saw with so many other characters yeah. in in the return so far. Um, and I think that's important to remember because a lot of people have been hammering home that uh, that Audrey is different. Audrey has changed, and, and they're not happy with that. Yeah. Or they're just over-the-moon ecstatic that she showed up. And I yeah. think that's also problematic because... Um, we need to be able to look at this critically and figure out where she fits in. And, and it's too early to tell. We see her for a few minutes. And um, and her characterization is not 
entirely inconsistent with what we've seen. She's very, still very headstrong. Mm-hmm. She's still very willful. Yeah. Um, we don't know why she's married to this guy, but she says that they have some kind of contract or some kind of arrangement. I don't think it's a marriage. M- yeah, of, I don't think it's love. just. Yeah, no, and I don't think it's like just a marriage contract they're talking. No, about. I think, I think there's, there's some kind of business arrangement. Yeah, so, so it, yeah. for this to come right after Jacoby's you know, rant about politicians being bought off and everything. I, I have to wonder if if either Charlie, who says he has a deadline, maybe he's works for the newspaper. Oh no, I thought he was like a lawyer or something. A lawyer, like that. something yeah. like that. He's got all this paperwork. And and blah, blah, blah. Audrey, I, I, their their roles might have something to do with something of in a position of importance that would force them to come to this, you know, marital arrangement. Yeah. That would benefit them mutually. Yeah. But which neither one of them are very happy with, obviously. obviously. Yeah. So, um, what's interesting, the scene ends with a conversation. Finally, yeah, Charlie Audrey calls, convinces Charlie to call Tina. Tina and find out what Tina knows about Billy. Mm-hmm. And we get one half of, we get the infuriating half yeah. of this phone call. Starting with him in the rotary phone, dialing the rotary course, phone, which in 2016, 2017, yes, people still, still have rotary that. phones? I guess if you were a vintage shopper, you might want to have Maybe that's his thing. Office. He has a yeah. deadline for the auction that he's going <laughs> to collect all those other vintage phones from. Yes, I don't know. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, but, it, you know, and it's, he basically just asks a couple questions, then he's like, oh, really? Oh, no. No, wait, yeah. Oh wow! Okay, and like unbelievable, he's, unbelievable. What you're telling me? Yeah, yeah. It just—it's a bunch of like he's getting all the information that Audrey wants, and then the, the scene ends with Audrey yelling at him, "You're not gonna tell me what what, what she said. said." Yeah, yeah. and uh, so it's it's really interesting, and he's just sitting there stone faced. Um, so yeah, the scene is again intentionally putting you off from getting the information, yep. uh, and it's it, you're supposed to feel Audrey's rage. I, I yeah. really feel like this is an outlet for it. Um, similar to the Mitchums and the, the yep. whole waiting for, for candy stuff. Um, two things, though. I think uh, you could potentially read into the scene based on what you do here. And uh, there's this, a brief conversation where he says that, um, did you know that Chuck stole Billy's truck last week? Mm-hmm. The only other truck we know that anybody's been asking about was the one that Richard used and killed the, the boy with. Um, and then we later saw um, the farmer talking to Andy, Andy about... about Right. So, so the, is this so related? It's, yeah, it's potentially the way you could interpret it is that uh, Billy is the farmer. Uh, he's dead now, obviously, because uh, someone got to him, Richard or Red or someone else, um, so that he doesn't say who stole the truck. But then here he says that uh, Chuck stole the truck, called the sheriff's department, and then when uh, Billy got the truck back, he dropped all the charges. Yeah. Um, so potentially Chuck stole the, tr- the truck <laughs> for Richard. Richard used the truck, then gave it back to Chuck, who then returned it to Billy. Mm-hmm. Um, which is be an overly, way overly complicated thing to learn about Unless in this Chuck way. Unless Chuck is Richard. Yes. Right, which some people have Yes, have there's also that out. possibility, right? Um, but then why would Ch- why would Audrey be calling her own son ostensibly yep. Chuck? doesn't make much sense. No. But anyways, so there's potentially, uh, and this is why when uh, Charlie gets the information from Tina... He doesn't say anything to Audrey because he learns that a perhaps uh, Billy's dead mm-hmm. because nobody can find him, um, and the or maybe Andy did find him and he's dead and that's what we learn, and b he finds out all this stuff that's happened to Richard the yeah. the grapevines got out there, um, and so he doesn't want to tell Audrey hey your son killed one person may have killed another yeah and is on a manhunt. on the lamb yeah. yeah so I mean that's a potential way of reading it but again it feels 
it's we're overly complex, I think, yeah. a little bit yet. Uh, yeah. It's hard to, to see how that would fit together. Um, we just don't have enough pieces yet. Um, one thing that was really interesting, like, uh, when you're watching this scene and you're trying to keep track of all these names, we both turned to each other at one point and we're like, is Billy her dog? Yeah. Like, is yeah. that, is, are they trying to find a dog? Like, that would yeah. be a, a twist, right? Yeah. Um, but then and, we confirm, no, I'm sleeping with Billy. Yeah, you're exactly. Like, you're oh, hoping okay, it's not, <laughs> yeah. she's not sleeping with her dog. Yeah. Um, the other thing that, that came up for me when I was watching it is the way that the scene starts, it feels like it could have been a stage play. And I wondered oh, yes. about that, if maybe yeah. these were characters that they're talking about. It, it the, the dialogue even feels written. Yeah, like a play. Like a play. Yeah. Um, where these they're just talking about all these characters and they're talking over one another in, in certain places and... And it feels very theatrical in that yeah. sense. But he, she's referring to the roadhouse. She wants to go to the roadhouse. Mm-hmm. He calls her Audrey. Audrey. Um, so I'm not, unless it's a very, All the she wrote this street. She, maybe she wrote the play and she's just self-insert thick here. You know, yeah. like this is, this is her Mary Sue moment. So she's having her stage debut. Yeah. And, but I doubt, I doubt that too. Yeah. It's, it seems like this is really happening. So, so why is this dialogue, why does it feel so off? Yes. And and my question is, the second thing I was going to raise is like, why is this our introduction to Audrey? Yeah. We've been We've been waiting for her, uh, her absence in the previous scenes with Richard, especially yeah. once we found out he was a grandson and grand, yeah. a grandson of uh, Ben and, and what's her name, Sylvia. Uh, you know, Audrey's presence is obviously. Or her absence her, is yeah, exactly. conspicuous. It's, it's conspicuous. And we want to, we want to learn more. And here we get it. And it's not going to answer any questions about you. It's just going to dive headlong. And I, I actually love this because this is what The Return has done so well is drop us into these lives of the characters that we see again 25 years later. Mm-hmm. And they're not the people that we left behind. Of course not. Uh, some of them are more like others, like Norma and Shelley are still at the diner. But Dr. Jacoby's running a vlog and Nadine has her successful drape runners. And, and Audrey is married to Charlie um, and talking about... <laughs> Yeah, these trucks and yeah, Billy, and Billy, who she's sleeping with, and 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 it's it's I love it though because Audrey is a pivotal character, and I don't want her just be waiting and pining for Cooper still. Yeah, I want no, her no, to no, have this dynamism of these other characters that are in her life. She has lived a full life in these twenty five years, yeah. and it's led her to this sounds like a pretty Bizarre fucked up place. place. Yeah, I want to know how she got here. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. But I love that there are still little moments of callback to the the Audrey that we left behind, like. The fact that she talks about um, having dreamt about Billy mm-hmm. with a bloody nose and blood coming from his mouth and how sometimes dreams hearken a truth. Yeah. That, like, I mean, lines like that don't really feel real. That's no. that's one of those lines that, that felt theatrical to me. But but it does feel like something that Audrey learned from Cooper or learned from her experiences 25 years ago mm-hmm. with, where lots of people were having weird dreams. And maybe she started to have weird dreams. Well, and, in that and, coma, where was she in that exactly. coma? Did she go to another place perhaps? So, I mean, yeah. we... we we get little little tidbits dropped here mm-hmm. and there that that feel like they might they reference something that we haven't seen yet or that um, maybe maybe is they ref, they reference something nostalgic for us in mm-hmm. in that sense which is cool and I hope it it leads somewhere interesting but even if it doesn't I still like you said want to find out what she's been up to mm-hmm. and and what led her to this place it's like a new mystery that she's now involved in and yeah. and. Yeah, like I'm desperate to find out what what she's yeah. How, why is she married to this guy? What yeah. does he do for a living? And yeah. who's Billy? And what's going on? What there? is the relationship between these people? Yeah. Um, 
So we cut to another scene of Diane that that interrupts a flow mm-hmm. because I think between this scene and the the final scene at the roadhouse have much more in common than this Diane scene, which yep. is just thrown in there. Just like the other one. And again, like like we were saying, she's dressed differently. She's wearing the same green top that she was wearing in part eleven when they found the coordinates on on um, Ruth's arm. On Ruth's arm. And we even see a flashback to that scene where she's of reading her. the coordinates off yeah. of the photograph that Albert conveniently showed her. Um, and we find out she's mouthing the word coordinates Coordinate. in the past. Yeah. She was saying that. And then she's saying it here. She enters it into her phone. But what's interesting is she says coordinates. But each time she's typing three letters. So she's not typing the word coordinates. What yeah. she's saying does not match what she's she typing. She set up some sort of mnemonic device. I think it is something. some kind of mnemonic device. And even when we first see her phone, when she starts to type, the it's the number pad that's open. So she's mm-hmm. not typing the word coordinates. Yeah. It's some it's, it's some kind of memory trick that she's using to remember those coordinates. And then she says plus, plus two. Plus two. Yeah. Which I thought was... Maybe that's just the last digit didn't fit with the mnemonic device. Yeah. And she's like, coordinates plus two. I'll yeah. remember that way, yeah. Um, but Who the knows? fact yeah. that it leads to Twin Peaks... Yeah. Like the coordinates lead her directly on her map to to Twin Peaks, yeah. so that's not really a surprise. We knew that the story was going to head back to Twin Peaks, and all these people were going to converge on Twin Peaks. I think that's what we're being led to believe. Mm-hmm. What is surprising is that the coordinates that were on Ruth's arm, which are the coordinates that Major Briggs asked Ruth and, and William Bill Hastings, Hastings to yeah. find in the military database, that those coordinates led to Twin Peaks. Why would the major need to know the coordinates to yeah. Twin Peaks? Like he's been, he was, he came from Twin Peaks. So why? I mean, is it, unless it's that he he needed to know the coordinates and he didn't know that they would lead to Twin Peaks. Maybe he was. Yeah, like someone or had. Yeah, someone had perhaps Phil Jeffries had put them in there many years ago, and he didn't know which of or, the or he's been searching he for to. these coordinates forever and without realizing that everything would lead back to Twin Peaks himself. Yeah. But I have a feeling that that the major would have known that, right? Like yeah, he would have I, figured yeah. out that. That this is, is where one. this is going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and it's, yeah, um, it, it begs a question a lot of what, yeah, what was going on with the major? Well, and, and also, is it possible that, like we suggested and other people have suggested, that the photo that Albert had of Ruth's arm had been doctored in some way? Because he did seem very open to showing Diane. And he was, was watching her it. to make yeah, sure that she did. That she saw it. Saw it, see it, yeah. So is this not. Uh, the actual coordinates. Does only, do only Albert and Gordon have the actual coordinates and Diane has a false set of coordinates? Mm-hmm. And are they setting some kind of trap yeah, in Twin for, Peaks for Mr. C yeah. in Twin Peaks? Which might lead to some explosive confrontation yeah. in a couple of hours. Hopefully next hour. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> Anyway, the final scene uh, takes place in the roadhouse, and we have two characters. I didn't even check to see their names in the nope, credits. didn't care. <laughs> but they're talking about Angela and Clark and Mary. <laughs> Angela dreaming of Clark, which I guess is yeah. important in the context of what Audrey dreamed about. Um, Angela is off her meds because her mother died like that, so presumably some kind of horrible bad thing happened. Bad thing happened. We get a character named Trick who shows up, and, and he's just come from uh that highway where he yeah, was almost someone... well he was run off the road nearly died yeah. and then he rushes off to go get them another round of heineken he's a free man he's no longer under house arrest and the two women at the table seem overly happy yeah, they seem this. very interested whoopee in they yeah, say yeah. and and uh joel Baco also reads this on his his post for the day that these these roadhouse scenes with 
Sky Ferreira and everyone else. Uh, we've had a couple other, even the one with Shelly, probably. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're just small glimpses into the town of Twin Peaks, and I don't think they're going to connect with anything. I think maybe the rash under Sky Ferreira might possibly. It could just be that this is a, we're supposed to interpret that as a side effect of the uh, whatever drugs that are in the town. But yeah, I really feel like these are just basically throwaway scenes that, that add to again the flavor of that episode this was an episode of distancing of all these character names it, it mirrors the audrey scene almost identically in that they're talking about a bunch of people that you'll never meet even the guy who does show up and you know holds out his hand and does this really kind of dramatic yeah. entry and exit uh you know is not really connected to what they were talking about um and it, even though he's he's a lynch regular I yeah mean, he, he's being put into this scene for a very specific purpose and it seems like they're not Mm-hmm. They're they're there as almost like interactive they're, set dressing. Yeah, like they, they really just, are. They're, set they're dressing, just yeah. there to flesh out the the feel of that particular part. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is how. I mean, we wonder who ran Trick off the road. Could it have been Richard? Is this going to be how Richard's um, movements through town after he's on the lamb are impacting the people of Twin Peaks? Yeah. Um, we we just don't know. But it's it's interesting that. These characters, as of yet, we haven't seen the women that, that Shelley was in the bar with. No. We haven't seen Sky Ferrer's character come back. We haven't seen, we haven't even seen the guy that, I mean, James and his friend from the very, yeah. very first part. Yeah. We haven't seen them come back yet. So are, are how many of these characters are going to be important? Should we bother trying to remember their names? Yeah, are they well, going to come yeah. back later at all? Yeah, I really don't know. I mean, and we're still waiting. I mean, we have a, we have a Richard. Mm-hmm. We've we heard mention of a Linda. We haven't seen Linda. We haven't yet. seen Linda, and we don't know if they're going to be important even. And that's the thing. Like, well, we, we twelve hours. Well, no, we we are assuming based on what the giants said, yeah. but we have not yet seen them, so they have not yeah. been important up to two thirds of the story, no. which is an incredible feat to do to have potentially very very important character Linda. I mean, Richard is important uh-huh. if this is the Richard that Richard that we're supposed to pay attention to, but. You know, to have Alinda, who's the counterpart to Richard, mm-hmm. who's the second bird with the stone, and we haven't even met her yet. And not to mention the fact that we waited 12 hours for Audrey. We're yeah. still waiting for a character as, as important as Big Ed, mm-hmm. um, for James to show up. They're T- not small characters, no, and I mean, we're still waiting for them. And, so. and Cooper. I mean, yeah, we're still exactly. waiting for Cooper to be in the real world. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm more and more, once again this week, more and more convinced that this is going to be something... Uh, that waits to the very end, I think, uh, that Cooper comes back. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I will tell you three things. So we've asked John three questions. He has provided us with three answers. Yes, that's how you describe it every week. I that's how it. I, I know. Like well, it's, it's it's what it is. Yeah, I call it like I seize it. All right. Uh, so our three questions. Number one, what is your take on the French woman and that whole scene and Gordon and Albert's interactions in general? John replies, Cole's friend is a woman who makes you wish you spoke a little French, and a Bond girl. This is wish fulfillment for Lynch, to be sure, but also some kind of a statement on communication troubles and multiple languages in play at once. Don't know if coded Blue Rose language applies or not, but sure seems to. Somewhere through this kind of filter is where Albert is. 
He seems stuck in place while he and Cole sync up. Don't know if it's an effect of a compromised Albert or maybe Cole post-Vortex portal, but there's a definite distance between them. Yeah. I think that's kind of what we talked about already in the yeah. episode. So yeah. it's it's nice to know, John, that we're on the same wavelength, <laughs> even transatlantically speaking. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely think that it's uh, it's playing with the language the language thing. I think it's the most important one. It definitely came up in that scene, and yeah, it definitely makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm still on the fence about that whole scene, but I can see where you can read it that way for sure. Absolutely. So the second question was, what do you think is going on with Sarah? That's, there's a that's... lot. There's a lot going on there. So it was a <laughs> pretty open pretty open-ended question. question. Exactly. Uh, John's response was, Sarah at the grocery store appears to be herself. But who knows, she has friends inside her head trying to come out all the time. Ah. The Sarah, quote unquote, who speaks to Hawk is one of these friends. And to be honest, the entire the entity seemed pretty Bob like to, yeah, to John. Yeah. So I yeah, I totally buy that. I mean, yeah, the whole house is infused with Bob, right? right. So you go back there and you just feels like it's present and it makes you remember uh, the the one of the missing pieces uh documentaries was the round table with the palmer family mm-hmm. and one of the things that sarah said is she's still living in the house and she's let things get a little run down and, yeah. and fallen into disrepair um but it it makes you think she seems like a little bit of a shut-in she doesn't really get out of the house too no much, much so yeah no much no much no much <laughs> um but yeah, it, it feels like the house is kind of uh, seeped into her in some way. Mm-hmm. If the house is like the Amityville Horror House or the you know, yeah. Poltergeist, Poltergeist House, Poltergeist where it's place, like yeah. um, the house becomes the, the portal. Maybe the house itself is a portal. Yeah. Maybe that's what the Maybe spinning fan are... is. Yeah. Um, but yeah. definitely, yeah. I those mean, could we be the said, coordinates. I mean, we, that, yeah, that, that's exactly. the, actually, when I was thinking of the coordinates, my thought was uh, it was coordinates to wherever... It wasn't to a place. It was to a person mm. who's in a location at that point in time. I don't know why I thought that, but that was my initial thinking, was that these coordinates are not just ah. to a specific locale so much as person. to a person in that How locale. would those coordinates match up with that person, though, if they're if, Well, if they're moving being, around, right? Moving and around, that's the thing. Yeah. They that's And that's kind of how I rationalized the fact that the major would need this information, is he needs to know where Sarah Palmer is so that mm. he can get a message out through her to mm. the place. That's a little. It's a huge stretch, obviously, but that, that's one of my crazier theories. Interesting. That's in my brain. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. Third question. Given that you know we are big fans of Audrey's, yes. and that there are many big fans of Audrey's who are listening right now, and the fact that her scene was strange, <laughs> to say the least, why should we care about whatever is going on with Audrey? And John replies. With Audrey's hunt for Billy, I think we might be dealing with another alternate subterranean slash subconscious reality construct situation, just like the Dougie Vegas situation. And if not completely manufactured, it's another heightened slash augmented reality situation. It's quite possible she's both living in a weird reality and is asleep in a coma at the same time. However it goes through, I know what my next Sunday article is going to be about now. Thanks. I'll be playing with this idea all week. P.S. Billy equals Billy Zane. <laughs> uh, I do love that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, not, it's not the first time that that has come up no. in conversation with us. I think people are trolling us because they know how much we love Audrey and love Cooper together. Well, you. Especially. I do. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Aiden's a little bit less. I'm indifferent. I'm indifferent. <laughs> I, I think they're a cute couple, yes. It would be a total, uh, I, I don't even know the word for it, if, uh, if it ended up being Billy yeah. Zane in Zane. some way but it's not it's not gonna be that way okay. um 
but yeah, so this whole idea of an augmented reality mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, we 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 read a couple different ones that uh, perhaps Audrey's completely lost her mind, and that this husband of what's his name Charlie, Charlie, yes, wasn't actually her husband, but just her therapist, and that she's kind of of created role play situation or something. Well, yeah, he's kind of filling in because she's lost all her sense of reality, and so Mm -hmm. she's attached to him as a dominant male figure, and said, "You're my husband now," and then. So that's why he's not doing much with her. Right. He's just calmly sitting there trying to reason with her. He has a very therapist-esque kind of approach to how he talks to her. Right. Uh, which I think is interesting. I didn't pick up on it the first time. but uh, Well, I, I did, but I didn't know that's what it was mm-hmm. until I read online that it was the Twin Peaks archive guys, I'm pretty sure, who, yeah. who tweeted out a picture of him asking if, if anybody else got psychiatrist vibes from him. And, and that was like, yeah, that's exactly yeah, what it is. Yeah, yeah, but it's hard to pinpoint. Um, the, the other one is that this could be a dream. Could be a dream that she's in a coma. And I, I like yeah. that, that John brought that up because yeah. it was something that everybody was kind of worried about. And I would not put it past Lynch to, to Lynch and Frost to make this part of Audrey's story. Yeah. Um, the other idea that, that uh, I'm kind of attached to just because I'm – I'm hedging my bets about this whole augmented slash alternate reality thing yeah. at this point because so much of what we're seeing lines up that I'm not sure how far uh, an alt reality thing can go. But is it possible that maybe Audrey had a child in the coma and then woke up with no memory, obviously, of having this? And so the the reality is augmented in the sense that her family has kind of cocooned her from from the actual reality of that situation maybe that's why she's not involved in richard's life as much anymore Mm -hmm. um it might explain some kind of arrangement that is made between her and this man who is uh some kind of caregiver like a therapist Mm -hmm. or or a psychiatrist but in a more personal uh yeah yeah yeah. um i don't know but uh certainly i think uh, you know when we sent these questions to john it was early in the day we hadn't quite Digested uh, everything, yeah. Right. So I think now that we've we've looked at it, there there are a lot of reasons to care about Audrey's arc. So. Uh, but it is. It does. Your first blanche is always like, what did that have to do with anything? Who are these people? Why is she? They talk. It's a very overwhelming thing, right? Yeah. And and, and people purpose, are kind of yeah. getting getting lost in trying to figure out what that all is, yeah. instead of looking at it, in the sense of of just enjoying it, right? Mm. Um. So yeah. Okay, I'm tired of waiting for the phone to ring. So, Lindsay, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Uh, Let's rock. <laughs> what do you think? It's it's. I I'm I'm okay with it. I think I think we're I'm still trusting that we're being told exactly the story that we need to be told, um, and that Lynch and Frost feel is required to be told. So mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Uh, I am a little bit nervous about the fact that there's only six hours left, yeah. uh, but heartened by the idea that there's maybe more out there maybe we'll get a fourth season or maybe we'll get a movie or maybe the the final dossier will shed more light in ways that the show just can't do which i'm hopeful about yeah yeah me too and i think it the final dossier just for like things like what was going on with audrey these last 25 years i think will be fascinating just to read and yeah and uh see what frost is come up with on on those fronts but it Um, is it is frustrating to to watch an episode like this and to see so many new uh threads starting to be wound in mm -hmm. yeah so we'll see where it where it kind of goes from here i think uh i i agree i think this episode was frustrating but we 
did get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and twice now, twice. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, like as as kind of a a watching unit. You and I yeah. have, I think, yeah, especially in the second walkthrough, you you again you gain the appreciation for some of the smaller pieces. Yeah. That were in there, and you start asking, "Why is this happening?" Yeah. And you can come up with your own answers. As opposed to what is happening, or yes. when is this happening, or where is this happening, which are the the, the yeah the your first, first watch. Yeah, you always watch for those things. Yeah. Then, as you get a little bit deeper, it's it's those hows and whys and wherefores that yeah. are. Which I think raise some really interesting points for for this episode in particular. Other episodes, we've kind of had those questions, and we've we've come to our own conclusions, and that's been nice. I think it's illuminated more. Mm-hmm. But I think for this episode, it's almost necessary in mm-hmm. order to not just find it infuriating which i think a lot of people did um ourselves yeah. included yeah exactly um i also i i, I do want to go on the record i'm making another big prediction okay dougie comes out in episode 15 i think Why the three and the 15 oh episode episodes, or part three no yeah season part, three part 15 mm-hmm. i see or well he did come out in part three as well yeah yeah, yeah. from the, the right. purple room so i I think that's just a... It's too obvious. I feel like it's probably not actually going to happen. But I'm putting it out there. Prediction time. Episode 15. Part 15. Dougie Jones turns into Cooper. You heard it here, folks. No. Aiden's sticking his reputation on this. <laughs> his whole do I reputation. Have, do I have a reputation? You do. Okay. But these fine folks don't know you in real life. Okay, so good. it's it's a different reputation yeah. that you have. Yeah. Probably better. <laughs> If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.